I'm a sports fan, so I'm always watching ball games. I have some particular teams that I enjoy watching. But I'll notice, and I'm sure you've noticed as well, that sometimes when there's a meeting at the mound in a baseball game or somebody gets a walk and walks to first base, you'll watch the guy on first and the first baseman talking. And do you ever wonder what they're talking about? Sometimes you think, man, man, I wonder if they're having deep conversations about technical things about the game. And then they'll, they'll have these players mic'd up for a day. And then you'll get a little, you know, insight into what they talk about. And it'll be something like this. The guy will cross first base and he'll go, how's your family doing? Oh, my family's doing all right. Hey, what'd you think about the Tennessee-Alabama game? Oh, that Alabama, man, they're a tough team. They're going to be good this year. And you find out they're just talking about everyday stuff. It's not as deep as we might think it is, or maybe even as profound. If two of our favorite basketball players are having a conversation at midcourt, you know, what's that about? Well, it's usually not very profound. Now, what we do know is this. We know that Daniel prayed, but have you ever wondered what he prayed? We know Jesus prayed a lot. We know uh, Sunday we studied uh, at least a portion of his longest recorded prayer in the New Testament, which is John 17. We get an insight into his heart from his prayer. We get an insight into people's priorities from their prayer. I hope that your prayer is changing as time goes on. Because as a new believer, sometimes our prayers can be very self-focused. But as we grow in the Lord, our prayers tend to shift and change. And that is going to happen as God is moving in your life and taking you deeper and deeper with him. Daniel 9, if you turn over there, is going to give us an insight into what Daniel prayed. Not that just he prayed. We know he prayed, but what he prayed. And I think what someone prays is quite revealing. Jesus said, when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, you are not to be as hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your inner room. When you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will repay or reward you. When you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. You're going to find that in Daniel 9, Daniel's prayer, this very long prayer, uh, is actually, if you prayed it out loud, would only take you a couple of minutes to pray. So you may be asking tonight, why is it going to take you 50 minutes to preach on the prayer then, Pastor Michael? I have no idea. There are just some mysteries that are just too deep uh, for understanding. But anyway, but it's not a very long prayer. And, and here's what I would say by way of encouragement. I think sometimes we feel like Maybe we're not where we should be if our prayers are short. Look, you don't have to elongate your prayers just for the sake of elongating them. You don't have to do that. You can be very direct with your prayers. Sometimes you'll need to pray longer. Sometimes your list is going to be longer. Sometimes there's, you're just praying and needs will pop into your head. People who are going through a tough time. Someone that you recently shared your faith with, you, they'll come up on your heart and mind and you can pray for them. But as a Christian, you don't have to be uh, into repetitious prayers per se. You don't have to have a certain formula. There are things that can help you along, like acknowledging who God is and that he's holy, uh, adoring him, confessing sin, giving thanks. We're going to see that, supplicating for others. But there's no specific uh, prayer that's a perfect prayer 
in terms of heaven's perspective, prayer is more about God wants you to come to him, first and foremost. Do you know you have a great high priest in heaven who ever lives to intercede for you? That's Hebrews 4. He wants you to pray. He wants you to come. So wherever you are on the prayer spectrum, can I just encourage you, just start small. Just maybe start praying just in little bite-sized chunks, if I can put it that way, and get started. Tonight is about prayer. In the first year, Daniel 9.1, of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, made king may indicate that he was a viceroy appointed by Cyrus. We talked about Cyrus in previous studies. And let me just point out that this prayer leads into the famous 70 weeks prophecy. 77s have been determined for your people. And when we move into chapter, uh, at the end of chapter 9 into verses 20 through 27, we will look at the 70 weeks prophecy, this famous prophecy that predicts the coming of Jesus into Jerusalem to the very day and then fast forwards into the future. That's where we're headed at the end of the chapter. But first we have a prayer. We do know from extra biblical sources outside the Bible that the date of this leader's um, leadership falls about 539 to 538 B.C. We have mentioned in previous messages that Darius may well be a title that represented Cyrus the Persian, but it does say that this one was of Median descent. So that's interesting. Maybe he was a viceroy appointed by Cyrus. We can't be certain. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books, if you have an NIV, it says, I understood from the scriptures the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Daniel was not only a man of prayer, he was a man of the word. Can I tell you that prayer and the word of God are inseparable. You should, I should be praying mostly with an open Bible. The word of God should be informing your prayers. Because when you are letting the word of God inform your prayers, you are praying according to the will of God. And when you pray according to the will of God, you know that you have the petitions that you have asked of God. So praying with an open Bible is very important. Daniel had the scrolls of Jeremiah, <clears throat> the prophet. He found in the scrolls that 70 years of Babylonian captivity had been determined by the Lord as a discipline for his people. So when he discovered this, uh, he discovered how long this whole Babylonian captivity was going to occur. The phrase, the word of the Lord, or the uh, scriptures here, is used by Jeremiah 50 times in his book. The word of the Lord came to me. The word of the Lord. And of course we know that the Bible is the word of God. It's inspired by God. Now to see what he discovered, we have to turn to Jeremiah, which is just a few books back. And we're going to go, first of all, to Jeremiah chapter 25. What did Daniel discover that informed his prayers? Let's go to Jeremiah 25. Let's pick it up at verse 1. <clears throat> Jeremiah 25, verse 1. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet because he kept preaching to the people and nobody would listen. And he had a very tough mission. And here's what it says. The word, Jeremiah 25, 1, that came to Jeremiah... Concerning all the people of Judah 
in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. That was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Now, this is where Jeremiah found himself on the verge of uh, Nebuchadnezzar coming in to dominate, to lay siege to Babylon, and he was telling the people to repent, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, From the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, these twenty-three years, the word of the Lord has come to me. I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, again and again, but you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. Verse 5. Saying, turn now, this was the message, everyone from his evil way and from the evil of your deeds and dwell on the land which the Lord has given you and to your forefathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them, to worship them. Do not provoke me to anger, the Lord saying through the prophet, with the work of your hands, and I will do you no harm. If you would just listen, if you would just repent of your idolatry, then things would be fine. Yet, verse 7, you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, in order that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send uh, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So notice that God is sovereign over what happened here. He calls Nebuchadnezzar my servant, will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about. I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror and a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will take, them, take from them the voice of joy, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones, the light of the lamp, and the whole land shall be a desolation and a horror. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon. How long? Seventy years. Then it will be when seventy years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, declares the Lord, for their iniquity, the land of the Chaldeans, I will make it an everlasting desolation. There's been an attempt to rebuild Babylon. It uh, happened under uh, uh, Saddam Hussein. He was trying to rebuild Babylon until it was destroyed by uh, a lot of our uh, military power. And so, uh, here's the promise, the warning, the amount of years, the reason for the captivity, God's discipline. Turn over to Jeremiah 29. Here's what he continues to say through his prophet. Jeremiah 29, verse 10. Jeremiah 29, verse 10 says, Thus says the Lord, When 70 years have been completed for Babylon... I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. Now that's what Daniel is discovering as he studies the scroll. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Now, I know Jeremiah 29, 11 has become a very important verse to a lot of Christians. And even though the immediate context is God's promise to restore Israel... I do believe that the Lord can use this verse and apply it to us today. We have to be careful when we study Bible verses that we keep the immediate context in mind. However, I do think that God can take a promise that was made originally to Israel and have you own it for yourself today. 
And the way I would confirm that is I would take Jeremiah 29, 11 and compare it to other verses in the New Testament where the, there are other verses that confirm that God has good plans for us, that God is for us and not against us, that what he started in us, he will complete, that Jesus Christ is our hope, that one day we will rule and reign with the one who is our hope. So we have to be careful when we look at verses like this that we don't just you know, try to force something or uh, apply it to us when it may not apply. But here I do believe that this can be ours. John Corson had an experience where he had lost, I believe it was his wife or daughter. And the Lord spoke Jeremiah 29, 11 to him. He didn't know the verse at the time, but it's something that God gave him in the moment. And I believe that God can do that as you're reading through the Old or New Testament. Sometimes you're reading and you might be struggling. You might even pray, Lord, I need a word from you. Would you speak to me? I need to hear from you. And you start, you know, some of you have done this whole thing where you... <laughs> Some of you just say, wherever it falls open, Lord, that's, that's where we're going tonight. And then it says Judas went out and hung himself. And you, don't, you, you want to be careful with that kind of stuff, right? We, so we have to be careful with the kind of thing. But I've even heard stories where someone did this, and it was an amazing promise that uh, actually the, the Bible fell open to a very appropriate, applicable uh, promise. And so I, I don't doubt that God can work in those ways, but I would encourage you that you might want to read more than just doing this <laughs> every now and then, you know, become a student of the word. But God says, these are the plans that I have for you. You may, you may wonder about my plans, especially, you know, thinking about where the nation was headed into, into captivity, but, but here's what I know about what I have for you. I don't always know what God has for me. Many, many times I'm in the dark. Any, anybody else out there? You know, there, there are a lot of us who, when we pray, we're saying, Lord, would you open up the heavens? Would you send a message? Could it be a text? You know, <laughs> double verified somehow. But, but God teaches us to trust him in the times when we're waiting on him. But God gives this promise and he says, look, these are my plans. My plans are not to destroy you. My plans are for your ultimate welfare. That's something we all need to understand, that even when God does something painful, it's for our ultimate welfare. It's to give us a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me, 12, and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you what? When you search for me with all your heart. You see, for Israel, that was the problem. They had a heart problem. You see, idolatry is not so much about a statue or a thing or whatever it may be. Idolatry, please hear me well, is a heart issue. Ultimately, what God wants is your heart. Amen? Your heart in Hebrew thought is the center of who you are. It's all that you are. It's the center of your mind, your will, your emotions, your intellect. That's what God wants. God wants you to love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And if your heart becomes a factory for idolatry, if your heart is constantly drawn away, which was what happened to Israel, they had stumbled over their idols in their hearts, says the book of Ezekiel then God will do something to get a hold of your heart. I mean, think about your relationships. 
What do you really want from the ones that you love the most? You want what? You want their heart. You want to know that they, they love you from the heart of who they are, and that's the way you want your love to be for others. And that's right where God works. God is not in the business of working from the outside in. He's in the business of working from the inside out. He knows if he works here, then the rest of the stuff will what? It will take care of itself. That's why he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. See, the issue is the issue of the heart. And I will be found by you when you call upon me. Look at verse 14, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes, will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Now, Jeremiah clarifies that God was behind the Babylonian captivity. God did what he did because of the idolatry of his people. And so he did a work. Uh, If you flip back to Jeremiah 25 for a second, look at verse 5. We get a little bit more insight. Verse 4 says, He sent to you all his servants, 25.4, the prophets again and again, but you have not listened or inclined your ear to hear saying, turn now everyone from his evil way and from the evil of your deeds. Dwell on the land which the Lord God has given to you and your forefathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and to worship them. And do not provoke me to anger with the work of your hands and I will do you no harm. This is what we've seen. We have seen that the Lord did what he did because his people had gone astray in their hearts. So this is, this is what God is doing in us. In fact, idolatry is a very contemporary issue. Just so you understand. Idolatry applies to today. Little children, guard yourselves from idols is the last verse of 1 John, written at the end of the first century. Idolatry was contemporary to the early church, And it is contemporary to a Western church and a very affluent society. Would you agree? In fact, I would argue that it's probably our major battle is to not put things alongside God in terms of them being equal to him or things above God. And it's a constant battle for all of us to keep God in our lives. Look, he doesn't change his nature or who he is because of my daily habits. Don't, I want you to have that straight. He's on his throne no matter what I do on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. But in terms of my relationship with him, that's what we're talking about. Whether I've decided to make him Lord of my life on a Wednesday night or a Thursday morning or a Saturday night, that's what you have to decide. You have to decide if he's really your Lord. Jesus said, you can't serve two lords. It just doesn't work. Now, because Daniel had been taken in the first wave of captivity around 606 B.C., and because we know that this prayer happens around 538, 539 B.C., we know from a time standpoint that Daniel could say, as he prays, we've been in Babylonian captivity for about 68 years. Now, you don't have to be a mathematician to know that if Daniel just simply does a little quick mathematics, he knows that there's about a couple years of captivity left. 
And then they're going to be able to go back. And so knowing what he knows informed from the word of God, now he can pray a prayer that's very informed. Oh Lord, this is what you said you were going to do. Daniel's prayer does not change the 70 years. Amen? It's like I've heard people say, if you turn back to the book of Daniel, we're going to have a, we're going to have a Pentecost night. Or the church prayed, and that's why Pentecost happened. No, I have to say, Pentecost happened on Pentecost. It was already fixed in God's calendar. Pentecost was an ancient feast of the Jewish people. It happened at a certain time of the year, on a certain date, and all God did was get the church ready for his calendar. It wasn't the church saying, Lord, this is our calendar, so would you get on board? No, 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 no. It was God saying, this is my calendar, so I've positioned you to be ready to receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit being poured out on the church on the day of Pentecost. Everybody with me? That's why this is so appropriate to prayer, because prayer is getting in concert with the will of God. It is not trying to get God to do something for me. Now, God is gracious, and I do believe he does respond to our prayers, but we have to be careful when we're praying that we're seeking his will. Now, look at verse 3 in Daniel 9. This is why you can tell that it's going to take us a couple Bible studies. So what did Daniel do? He, he made this discovery about the 70 years, end of verse 2. And so he says, I gave my attention to the Lord God. Uh, New King James says, I set my face toward the Lord God. To seek him, when you set your face, when you seek the face of God, you are seeking him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Now, when he made the discovery in the word of God, he, he turned himself to the face of God. And so that's what I've seen a lot in my own devotional life usually moving from the Word of God to prayer, or sometimes it can be the other way around. Sometimes I pray, and I don't necessarily always have an open Bible. But my point is this. He made a discovery in the Bible and then went to prayer. And I think that's a pretty good model to follow. And he began to seek the face of God. How do you seek the face of God? Anybody know? I mean... What does that look like? I'll tell you, uh, there was a, a moment for me some years ago where I was laying in my bed and uh, I was just simply saying something like this. Lord, I want to know you. And right now, I want to put everything else aside and I'm just going to seek your face. Have you ever noticed that when you do that, some crazy thoughts come into your Mind and heart. It's like the moment you decide to get serious about prayer, in 30 seconds you could be, you're way over here. You've, got, you've taken a right on, onto some weird street. And you're like, how did my thoughts get over here? I was just praying 30 seconds ago. Look, if that happens to you, you're not alone. To seek the face of God is to concentrate on God. It's to try to set aside all the other distractions. That's why I think Jesus said, go into a private room and pray. There's nothing wrong with praying in public. I do it all the time. I don't think it's sinful to pray in public. It all has to do with your motive. Everybody with me? When Jesus says, don't pray like the hypocrites pray, 
remember, he's talking about hypocrites. So we can't say, oh, if the church prays out at the cross and people see us, oh, we've broken Matthew 6. No, 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 no. Jesus even prayed in the open public and lifted his eyes up to heaven and said, Father, and he began to pray. And so he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Look, there's nothing wrong with praying in public, but the issue is your motive. You don't want to be like a hypocrite when you pray. You don't want to do it just for men to see how righteous you are, right? You don't want to just bring long-winded prayers just for the sake of long-winded. It's about your motive. Of course, a hypocrite is an actor. So if we're a genuine Christian, we're not being an actor or an actress. But to seek the face of God is to focus on God. It should be a no-brainer, I know. But when we pray, God is supposed to be our focus. You mean not me when I pray? You see, in a very humanistic society and a very man-centered gospel that has emerged into the church, it seems like many prayers are man-centered instead of God-centered. You know, prayer is essentially to have your mind centered on God. That should be kind of a 101 thought, but I need to hear that. Because sometimes I can go down my laundry list of prayers, and I'm not sure how much quality time I actually spent with the Lord seeking His face and His will. Amen? So sometimes our prayers just need to simply be, Lord, I'm just seeking your face. So that night when I was on my bed, and um, that's the one time in my life I can genuinely say something supernatural in terms of what I would call a gift of language came to me. And I know there's all these questions about prayer language and the gift of tongues, um, and, and I'm in the camp that believes those gifts are for today, but they need to be biblically informed and led by the Spirit and under the leadership of uh, the elders and so forth. But here's what I would say. Something came, and it was, it was in my mind, that was not from me. And it was so other than me, it kind of freaked me out. <laughs> and I was on my bed, I was like, whoa! Whoa! Oh, it kind of... And I don't even know really what it was about. But I just know this, I was just seeking the face of God. And maybe it was God's way of just saying, Michael, I hear you. Good. You see, that's what I think God wants, is he wants us to seek him with, what did we read? With all of our hearts. See, God wants to do special supernatural stuff in our lives, but he wants our attention. Look at verse 3. To pray and seek God's face is to give your attention. How many, how many people in our society are doing things for attention today, right? Uh, some of the biggest longings of our own hearts are for attention. And people oftentimes will get attention through unhealthy means because they are, are longing for attention. God doesn't need it, but God wants us to commune with him because he loves us, which is amazing, and because he knows the value when we spend time with him. So I sought him by prayer. You can, do, you can also seek God by music or worship. 
Um, you can seek God in the scriptures and commune with him. But here he says, I turn my attention through prayer, supplication, with, which is another way of saying to uh, pray for others, to supplicate for others. That's that word, to uh, be an intercessor. With fasting, I think everybody knows what fasting is. Sackcloth, which is a garment of camel's hair, uh, which is very coarse and uncomfortable. Prophets would use it when they prophesied. They would wear it. John the Baptist wore something like this uh, as a sign uh, of, of a call to repentance and so forth. And ashes, which is a sign of mourning. They would put ashes on their head when somebody died or something terrible happened. And so it's like Daniel took all the implements of things that you could do when you pray to kind of assist. He fasted, he put on sackcloth and ashes. He was serious. Some people say, does God hear us more when we fast? Well, it depends. It depends on why you're fasting. <laughs> if you think, you know what, I want to get more spiritual and I need to drop five pounds. What's the order there? You want to drop five pounds and get spiritual or you want to get spiritual and drop five pounds? Anyway. You see, prayer can restore a dry and listless life. When you get serious about prayer, God starts doing amazing things. And prayer helps me to care more. I heard a story about a young pastor who was preparing a sermon. In his study, there was a knock on his door. Someone told him that a child had been hit by a car in front of the church. He was informed that the ambulance was there and the child was getting help. He looked up and he said he would be right out after he finished this thought. His secretary came to the door and announced that it was his own daughter that had been hit by the car. The pastor jumped up from the desk and ran to the street. You see, our identity with the need how we identify with the need makes all the difference on how we pray. Have you ever noticed? You hear about a prayer request that comes down the prayer chain. And look, we're all human, so I'm preaching to myself here. I want you to know that. But sometimes, you know, we can get to the 23rd prayer request and we're like, oh, Lord. Okay, Lord, just heal the entire world. Everybody's in trouble, <laughs> right? But then, let's just say that you got a phone call that a relative or someone really close to you is in the hospital. Or you go, or that hospital visit you go on now is your loved one in that bed. Now you pray with a different fervency. And see, Hebrews 13, 3 says that we should remember those in prison as if we were fellow prisoners. Those who are mis mistreated as though we were suffering. But it's, it's pretty easy to disconnect from other sufferings. And so I know some of you are interested in fasting and how all of that is done and what, what the deal is, I would like to just give you a few verses to take a look at the reasons behind fasting. And uh, I would take you, to first of all, to the book of Ezra. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, and then the Psalms. So go to Ezra chapter 8. I want, I want us to show you a couple of verses uh, as to why someone would fast because I know some of you have brought me questions about that. There was only one um, holiday in ancient Israel where there was a mandatory fast, and it was the Day of Atonement. It was literally called the fast. 
Outside of that day, there was no mandatory fasting in Israel. The scribes and Pharisees fasted twice a week, but even their fasting didn't seem to be always for righteous reasons. And there are people in our modern time that fast. Jesus fasted while he was out in the wilderness, right, for a, quite a long time as he was uh, compelled by the Spirit to go out and fast. And I do think that fasting is appropriate at times, but it needs to be Spirit-led and informed by Scripture. There may be a season of your life where you're praying for somebody, a situation specifically, and maybe you just fast for a meal. Maybe you skip breakfast and you take that time where you would have eaten to read your Bible and pray. Maybe you take that money that you would have spent and give it to the Lord's work. You can let the Spirit lead that kind of thing. But that's typically what people do. And then some, peop some people will, you know, uh, fast for a day. They'll just drink water or juice. I would just encourage you to get spiritual counsel from a pastor if you're going to fast. And make sure that you understand medically where you are in terms of your sugars and your, just your chemistry as a person. You know, you don't want to go from you eat six meals a day to I'm going to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. I read that in the Bible. I'm doing it. <laughs> no, you're not. And I would encourage you not to make big proclamations to heaven. Lord, I'm going to get serious about you and I'm not eating until Saturday. Don't do that. Because you'll set yourself up for failure and the Lord is not worried about you making these grand proclamations to heaven so that you can appear more spiritual. I'm going to starve myself, Lord, so you know I'm serious and I really want that thing I'm praying about. And so if I, if I walk around really hungry and disheveled and, and, and messed up and I, I cry and whine and I haven't had a burrito for three hours. And... No, 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 no. You know, God said to Israel in Isaiah 58, on the day of your fast, you're, you're pounding your brother. You're in a fist fight when you're fasting. Come on now. If you want to be heard on high, then do some good things. Do righteousness. Do equity. But if you're pounding your brother on the fast day, forget it. Forget about it, as we like to say in the Italian. Forget about it. Because you've ruined the intent of the fast. The fast is to elevate the spiritual and put down the physical or the fleshly. Everybody with me? When you fast, it's to elevate the spiritual and to put down the fleshly. Look at verse 21 of Ezra 8. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, Ezra 8.21, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek him, to seek from him a safe journey for us, our little ones and all our possessions. So notice the fast was proclaimed for a safe journey. Then I proclaimed, 21, a fast reading from the New King James at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us. Important. Sometimes we, we want to know what's your will, Lord. We might fast. Our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way as they returned to the land. Because we had said to the king, the hand of our God is favorably disposed to all those who seek him. But his power and his anger are against all those who forsake him. And so we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter. 
And he listened to our entreaty or our prayer. In the book of Nehemiah, which is the next book to your right, chapter 1, Nehemiah hears about the land, the, the, what's been uh, destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, Nehemiah 1.4. And it came about when he heard these words, he says, Nehemiah 1.4, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You'll remember in 2 Samuel 12.16, David fasted. And he prayed uh, for the child, that the child would not die. In 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 20, um, let's turn over there. That's, that's going to be a few pages back. 2 Chronicles 20, if you can't locate it, just listen to it. This is verse 1 of 2 Chronicles 20. It says, Now, it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon together with some of the Moonites... Meunites came to make war against Jehoshaphat. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 2. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram, and behold, they are in Hazazon, Tamar, or in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat, verse 3, was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. And they prayed. So notice in verse 9 of that same chapter. Should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before thee and cry to thee in our distress and thou will deliver us. You can think of 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. If they will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will what? I will heal their land. And I, my ear will be attentive to prayer that's offered in this place. Go down to verse 12. This is an important. Same chapter. Look at verse 12. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12 says, Our God, will thou not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you or on thee. And all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. Then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, the Levite, the son of, sons of Asaph. And he said, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not, be, do not fear. So they prayed, they fasted, or be dismayed because of the great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but whose? But it's God's. See, so many times when I don't pray, I think the battle belongs to me. And when I pray, if you go back to Daniel 9, when I humble my soul with fasting, uh, Psalm 35, 13, when I seek the Lord, when I humble myself in prayer, I make the battle His and not mine. So important that we understand that. And so he, he, he took all these different things. You can find... Uh, fasting in the uh, book of Esther, 
where they call for a fast uh, with weeping and wailing and sackcloth and ashes and so forth. And uh, you can see that the Lord honored it. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments, is Joel 2, 12, and 13. So back, back to Daniel, just a few more verses. He says, And I prayed to the Lord my God, and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God. This is Daniel 9, 4. Notice he did all of these different things to prepare himself. And then he prayed and he confessed. He said, you are the great and awesome God. When we pray, we need to know who we're addressing. Who keeps his covenant and loving kindness, his, his uh, love or his mercy for those who love him and keep his commandments. Daniel's prayer is filled with worship. Uh, when you're going to pray, how many of you remember the acronym ACTS when you pray? Like the book of Acts, A-C-T-S. The A stands for adoration, the C for confession, the T for thanksgiving, and the S for supplication. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. That's a good model. You'll see that in a lot of the biblical prayers. And so you've got to acknowledge who it is that you're calling upon. He's the great and awesome God. There's nothing too difficult for him. Look at the C. He, he adores God, adoration. He confesses. We have sinned, verse 5. We've committed iniquity. We've acted wickedly. We've rebelled. <clears throat> Even turned aside from thy commandments and ordinances. What did Daniel do wrong? Is there anything in the book of Daniel that ever tells you about a sin that Daniel committed? I don't think so. Why is he confessing? Because these were his people. And Daniel was a sinner. And Daniel becomes an intercessor. Sometimes... When I pray, I just say, Lord, I'm sorry for what we've done. Sometimes the we is not me, but sometimes the we includes me. But does it really matter? You see, what we want is God's favor, and so we confess. We've turned aside. We have to acknowledge. He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will find compassion, Proverbs 28, 13. Moreover, we've not listened. He, read, he just read that in Jeremiah. We, we spoke again and again. To thy servants, the prophets, who spoke in thy name, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. We haven't listened to you, God. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame, as it is to this day, as it is this day. To the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all Israel, those who are nearby, those who are far away in all the countries to which thou hast driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against thee. We've sinned against you and you only, Lord. Lord, you are righteous, verse 7. But this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries which, where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you, we've sinned over a period of time to us, is open shame. Isn't it refreshing when someone, it comes out that someone did something wrong and they just step up to the microphone and do something like this. Yeah, I did it. It's my fault. I blew it. I made a huge mistake. I'm sorry. And it's especially nice if they're not reading a piece of paper. I'd like to make a statement right now, prepared by my lawyers, <laughs> reviewed, uh, you know, proofread, I am 
truly sorry for what I caused the organization, the shame that I, it's like, come on, dude. Speak from your heart, man. Would you go to your spouse that way? Honey, I've got a prepared statement. I, I ran it by my attorneys. Uh, they, they've cross-checked it. I, I'd like to say, can you get my readers, honey? I, I'm having trouble seeing this. Come on, man. This is about the heart. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we've sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong what? Compassion, forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. With all of this stuff, and we're going we're gonna to park here until our, our next study. To us shame, to us wrong, but to the Lord our God, would you look at verse 9? Belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. But the Lord is so gracious. But remember, they were at the end of what? 70 years of captivity. Just because he's gracious doesn't mean he doesn't spank. Just because he's gracious doesn't mean he doesn't correct. Just because he's full of loving kindness doesn't mean that that love doesn't sometimes express itself in discipline. But God is good. Father, we thank you so much for this time in Daniel's prayer. We have so much to learn. I have so much to learn about you, about who I am, who you're making me to be, what you use in my life to shape me and mold me. Sometimes you bring me into a place that I don't want to be so that you can show me who you are and even show me the wrongs that I have done or even that I'm doing. Lord, it's so amazing to see a man like Daniel, so strong in so many ways, and yet so humble here, honest before you, taking ownership, reading your word and saying, man, there's hope. We're, we're about, we're about to, this season's about to pass. The captivity's about to be over. Thank you, Lord, that even when we have a long season of captivity and struggle, there's always a new season ahead in Christ. And even if we leave this planet, when we leave this planet, should you tarry and we die, there's a new season ahead for that as well. There's always hope in you. So would you uh, breathe hope into your people tonight? Would you strengthen them? For those of you who feel far away tonight, spend some time just seeking God's face as this last song is playing. If you are not a Christian, cry out to Jesus to save you. Believe in his death on the cross and his resurrection for you. He loves you. That's why he came here, to rescue you. And if you're a Christian tonight and maybe it's something, something else, something gnawing at you, maybe something heavy, maybe a time of decision where you need to fast and pray. Um, Lord, I just pray for that person as well that as they seek clarity and direction that you meet them where they are as they open their Bibles, as they pray, as they seek your face. We love you. We worship you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.